Hi everyone, I'm Sarah Schweitzer. Welcome to the Harvest Concept podcast. I'm really excited to be here with my teacher and co-host, Justin Martin, who is also our very first conversationalist for, okay. for our podcast. Conversationalist, okay, I like that. <laughs> Interviewee, I feel like we said the interview was a little bit too formal for what we are. It does put like a, a connotation to it, right? Well, I know, but I feel at the same time that it, um, I want to make sure that you are prepared that this is going to be more of you speaking right. and me listening, which I would put into the category of a, interview. of an interview, but we can make it a conversation. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. All right. So why don't you start mm-hmm. by just talking a little bit about your experience, your athletic experience as a child, oh, okay. like your background. Yes. All right. Um, so background of, of my childhood was rural Williamson County, Tennessee. And so there wasn't much, but we had soccer, uh, was one of the big things growing up, still a big thing in the area. And then moving from there, uh, roller hockey became a thing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> because we have no ice. Yeah. Cause we have no ice. <laughs> they did have ice hockey, but like that was too expensive to go to Nashville sure. all the time and right, like deal with ice, ice hockey. Room. Yeah. Um, so then they had roller hockey and that's when, uh, they had a go-kart track and had that, that's what D1 is. Okay. That whole side of it, they built that for roller hockey. By the mall. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So roller hockey. Uh, then I started wrestling in middle school. Okay. And, uh, ended up in the state tournament in eighth grade. Uh, and then I didn't have a good coach in high school. And so I didn't make that transition when I, when I switched to high school, I didn't make a good connection with the coach. And, um, so I didn't want to go from being a starter, uh, you know, uh, in the state tournament to just ride an bench for a couple of years. And I didn't understand that. And so it, that's where that kind of split happened. I ended up playing the cross, uh, team sport at Franklin for a couple of years and then, um, kind of got back into martial arts again in college. So with martial arts, when did it become something more than just like a hobby or something that you were doing? When did it become you know, more of a passion that you had? Gotcha. You know, I totally skipped uh, doing, I was David Deaton karate kid when I was a little kid, but like I didn't, I didn't progress very far at all. So it was like, what was your highest belt? Uh, Maybe yellow belt or so. Like it was very, again, it was like we had to travel a long distance to like go to the class. And so I just didn't think it was. uh, Was it a real long distance or was it like, you know, when you're a child in your mind and you think like 20 minutes in the cars? I think it was. It was not a real long distance because it was from Grassland to probably Green Hills, okay. right? And so maybe 15 minutes, but, you know, being where, with family and everything, they didn't want to do that. But Nashville Ballet was okay for my sister, right? Right. So that was, that was okay. Um, no, the, um, I think that when I was nearing my upper 20s, 30s, where I started going, oh, this is something a little bit more serious in my life and starting to process, not necessarily not necessarily understand why or what was happening with me, but like understood that, hey, I needed to keep showing up here and doing this thing and uh, see where it took me. And so I would say in that, in that upper 20s, right at 30s cusp is where, where that happened. Um, and the reality is that uh, I was training in a Filipino martial art and I had a lot of friends that were in that group, but things were they were so angry all the time, like the, the mentality of that style. And, um, it was just very aggressive and I wasn't 
uh, I was unsettled in that aspect of it um, because I don't think that was me as a person. And so I was enjoying learning and being a part of the group, but I wasn't, um, wasn't fulfilling everything that I needed. And so when I made the transition to learning Hamido, that's where things started to kind of click into place and go, oh, this is maybe why things weren't working because I was looking at the wrong uh, vehicle, right? And so finding that vehicle was, I think, where it really changed. And how did you practice Hamudo? I mean, here or in Baton Rouge? Okay, so um, at first I was introduced to the Samak Soul techniques, the wrist uh, escape techniques. And um, again, it was something that was outside of our normal learning in the Filipino arts. And so um, that was fun and exciting. Where I had to go learn more of that was in a Taekwondo school that was local. And he taught one day a week and he was what I would say a very, um, he tried to take a scientific approach to Hamudo, which is not a scientific art. Um, and so he wanted to describe everything in the scientific method, but, and break things down, but that really really kind of guide his students the wrong way. And I feel like I had to relearn a lot once I started traveling back and forth to Baton Rouge and had my eyes opened to, that these techniques weren't being done right. Um, our, our classes, there were no takedowns. There, was, um, there were very few uh, finishes or really understanding about what was, what was really happening in the technique. And so, you know, I would take it on almost, um, uh, link it to your starts in Hamido, meaning that uh, you had a, an outsider perspective on what Hamido really was and until you were able to really get physical and get hands on then that changed again for your your level of your martial art, right? Absolutely. And so I had learned all this stuff and then I started going to Baton Rouge and I was like, oh man, everything <laughs> is wrong. Um, yeah. This is completely different. And it's completely different. Completely different. Yeah, Russ and I Russ Haskett and I went to Baton Rouge the first time, and I think we stayed uh, five days uh, and trained with Dojanem directly for three days, like eight-hour days, and then we'd go to the classes at night, and I was supposed to test for my black belt the last night. And I remember us going back to the hotel room every at the end of each training session and being like, oh, man, I feel really good about how much we learned, or the next one being like, oh, man, we know nothing. Like, <laughs> everything was a failure, like, just, just so wrong. Um, but then... As we progress through, then I think that the um, the uh, as we continued to see it and stick with it for the week, we manned up and got through the the end of it. And that testing was a big a big moment for me to to have achieved that, but also to get through it. Russ did not get through; he did not bow out with the rest of the class at the end of it. <clears throat> so that was a challenge for him, for sure. Do you think it's because Hamudo is a self-defense situation? Um, in the, I'm thinking about, you know, if you're trying to be scientific in this sort of breakdown of, of what is happening, but one of the, the opportunities I think, or what Hamudo brings that maybe other martial arts don't, is that everything is based upon someone attacking you right. versus you're never the aggressor okay and so it's a response mm -hmm. um as well as control as well as you know the takedown mm -hmm. i'm just wondering if that was what was the 
you know, you're, you're mentioning that when you were first learning it, it was, you know, sort of more of a scientific method than mm-hmm. what you learned when you went down to Baton Rouge. What is that, that difference, do you think? Because obviously, like, he was teaching you in this sort of scientific way because he, you know, was teaching Taekwondo and right. that, that worked for that particular form. Yeah, I think that, so, Taekwondo has had a long, um, I would say, let me back up a little bit. I think that this kind of comes back to this martial arts history and the fundamentals of the martial arts. Uh, Taekwondo comes from a very athletic lineage, and so we see this high kicking, um, and there's a very uh, distinct style of fighting. And when you're practicing Taekwondo, the, the things you're practicing are very physical. We're practicing striking a bag, striking a hand target, kicking a hand target, breaking boards, or or just the physicalness of fighting, sparring mm-hmm. each other. And so there are forms practiced too, but even those aren't necessarily learning a technical item. You're just combining your punches and kicks. And so you're becoming a technically more sound striker, mm-hmm. but um, you're not upping your technical knowledge. When, I, when we talk about Taekwondo technique and the technicalness of the movements, then really you're looking at someone that's very balanced and is able to move their body in a very graceful way, very much like a ballet ballerina or like a strongman or something, mm-hmm. that they are very technical in their movement. Even though we see it as graceful, they mm-hmm. understand like how that movement breaks down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you approach Hamudo from the methodology of I'm going to physically uh, do these techniques to you, as opposed to using your brain and understanding the technique and what's actually happening, um, using your core, your Don June, like moving through and then applying that key pressure, that key energy to it. I think there's a whole lot more to understanding the depth of Hamudo, um, especially once you get past the punching and kicking sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a very physical element, throwing, kicking, punching. Absolutely. But I think that one thing that was just uh, difficult about him teaching it was he didn't acknowledge the rest of the body, right? He didn't acknowledge the, uh, the mind and the spirit aspect of this training. And so everything was very straightforward. Um, his, in, that, in that time period, his teachings on meditation or um, mindfulness and this practice, which are, which are excellent practices for anything, um, but it was very, um, I'm trying to think of even terms he used, but they were very straightforward in the sense of he didn't want to use those Eastern terms or that meditation. He wanted to push more towards this Western sports athletic side of Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. And so, whereas with Hamudo, we kind of really embrace the weirdness and the Eastern philosophy of it and understand that, um, I don't think that it's cult-like, but there is aspects of that Hamudo element where we're um, grouped together. Uh, I guess that's what I'm saying is correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can you talk about that, the the mind, body, and spirit, and, and, and the difference between, you know, someone who, so, you know, I think a lot of us have the experience of coming to any athletic endeavor from the perspective of, you know, I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to, like, look a certain way or I have some sort of, um, I don't want to call it an aesthetic goal, but just there's there's a very kind of limited sort of siloed concept of I'm going to do this 
athletic, athletic activity, whether it be running or martial mm-hmm. arts or anything else like that for, for this particular reason versus this approach of coming to you know, this martial art and, and understanding that it does require and, and really um, challenges both your mental, I mean, obviously your, I mean, of course, physical, which I think everyone recognizes, but uh, spiritual as well. And in this comprehensive sort of like full body, you know, um, approach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very, I would even say whole person or like, you know, we talk about Han having these multiple meanings. One of the meanings of Han is the whole, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that we are looking at this whole package, right? Um, and in the very beginning, it's, it is very physical because with any martial art to gain, to gain these perspectives, uh, I think that there's many, many vehicles that are going to get you to the same place. Okay, meaning uh, even Musashi is a swordsman in Japan that he said that once you know the way, the way is in everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a vehicle to get to where you're going and you know, Forrest Gump get it by running. And so he just understood that he had to keep going to, to get to that place where he needed to be mentally and spiritually, right? And so that one foot in the front of the other kind of mindset, I think that it's easy for us to give up right it's easy for things to be fun for a while and then move past them and at some point in time things start to stick and you hope that these are things that are going to help you be successful in life right uh and so meaning that maybe you come in you start training and things all of a sudden start to get hard uh if i back myself up and say hey man i really wasn't in the best shape when i started doing taekwondo and hamido um, I was really, I was skirting on the outskirts and just up to a lot of different things. But then I started refocusing myself and saying, man, I have to change what I'm doing, how I'm living my life so that I can show up to class and be my best. Right. And so when you start realizing that I could just give up and not go to class because that's way easier and I can keep living my life the way I'm living it. Or you go, Oh man, you know, something helps me out over there. So I know that if I do a better job, then I'm probably gonna do better in the long run of it. Uh, And so I think that that's kind of that first step that we kind of overcome. I know you're a runner too, so I know that when I'm doing a workout or I'm doing a run, I have that moment, that first crux that I like to call, you know, like, oh man, I'm running, like, why am I doing this today? Like, I don't even feel good. Like, this isn't great. Like, or it's too cold or too hot or whatever. And, you know, that first mindset and overcoming that mindset, I think that's a, a big part of that spiritual awareness of our own, meaning that we're able to overcome hard things. And so that uh, we have that bright future, that optimism of what's going to come on the other side when we overcome that spot. And so then you maybe you're running and you have that next level where you're like, oh my God, I'm cramping, I've got tired, I'm doing this, that, and the other. And so you have these issues that you have to, to jump through and, and be a part of. But uh, I think acknowledging those and understanding that they're part of the training is what helps to make them, uh, make them a part of yourself too. And so understanding those breakdowns, understanding where those changes are happening in your life and where you're overcoming to go to that next step is an important part of it. Has there been a point in time where, I mean, either in the past or even recently where 
you know, you feel like it's, you've been tested, you know, you're, you you obviously are very committed to this, you know, way of life. Um, but has there been a time where it's been tested or you felt like maybe you needed to look outside of this particular martial art in order to move forward? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that happens, um, on a regular, uh, not necessarily looking outside the art, but, um, I think that, so harvest, this is going on seven years of harvest. And, uh, so seven, eight years ago is where, uh, Donald, Kim, and I started to really become really good friends. And in that time, uh, I had a lot of ideas about what I wanted out of school. I was young, I was still feisty, and so I was trying to, you know, I was trying to figure out these things of like what what would make, uh, what would help Hamido grow, but also help myself grow. And um, I was just constantly clawing and looking for things to help bring me money or help the school to boost up and um, I remember Donald and I were actually talking about jujitsu stuff and um, he said you know just always just look back at Dr. Kim and look back and uh, try to look to Hamido and so I, I did that I, I continued to try to look to Hamido as much as possible and I think that that's uh, a a place that I go to often in that sense. Um, meaning that the there's answers in uh, Dr. Kim's life, there's answers in Mrs. Kim's life, of like things that she's gone through and even Donald from what he had done before. And so um, I think that there's constant successes and there's constant failures. And you know, we talk about students and families that are here, there's students and families that are part of the association that like, when I say successes and failures, sometimes it involves them too. Like, did we do the best job with those students or was there something that was off and and made it a harder time for them or we didn't connect with them properly? Um, I I think that I don't look outside Hamido as much anymore. Um, I don't look for exterior sources to create here. I think that inside Hamido there's so much. And so um, now my in the last couple of years, I would say my mentality has changed quite a bit to help um, bolster and grow Hamido as opposed to trying to just focus on harvest or growing here. Right, right. Does it still bring you joy doing your martial art? Do you like get up and think this is, this is still fun? I love this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that it's changed like quite a bit. Um, it, it does bring me joy. And I think that uh, I don't I don't practice the same way that I did, but meaning that having a class to go to is a lot of fun. You know, that's that's a big part of it, right? And so, like for me, I get that four times a year when I go to seminars, and so I have to like build up as much joy in that moment, just being a student that I can. Um, but then a lot of the joy now comes from seeing my students and so um, being being able to watch them test for black belt being able to see them be tested and come out the other side being uh, able to watch students test for yellow belts and you know, little kids overcome things and adults overcome things I think that that's big moments uh, I love also seeing the change happen for people and when people have this 
momentous change and you see them kind of flip into this next uh, gear where they're they're cruising you know at first you're just you're rock and roll and you're trying to do to do everything and keep up and then all of a sudden you might just realize like okay things are going good like I can adjust weight the, my tactics a little bit right mm -hmm. and, and smooth things out and so when people start to smooth that out and realize I'm just here to learn and enjoy then I think that's a, a big a big part of it um, what would you say to someone who feels intimidated or thinks this is, I, I can't, I can't do this. It's too hard. It's not for me. I, I think that, um, <laughs> what would I say to you? <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's not, you know, I think that it's, it's very intimidating to, to walk in any place the yes. first time. And I think it's very intimidating to put yourself out there in any way, the same, the same as we're doing here, right? Yes. And sometimes that's gonna really work for you and sometimes it's not. I think one of the hardest things now is finding the right places and the right things. Meaning that I know that Hamido is not for everybody and this will kind of jump back to a conversation we had before this even started, but uh, I believe that Hamido helps and can help everybody, but it's not for everybody in the place that they're in necessarily and what they need. And so um, I think sometimes we help people get somewhere else and sometimes people are trying to just get to us to, to further themselves. Um, and I don't think that everybody has to do Hamido for life either. Uh, I think that there's good goals to set for yourself and to push yourself out of the comfort zone and uh, do something, try something, see if it's something that you enjoy, the community's right, but um, know that it's ultimately up to you and you get to choose what you wanna do to help yourself, you know? Um, and so uh, with kids especially, like, you know, we talk about kids trying other things or wanting to do things, I think that's important too. And so uh, I don't, think that I can honestly say like Tomido harvest or nothing, mm -hmm. you know, you can do other things, but you must do this, you know. Uh, sometimes people do really good here. Kids do really good and sometimes kids need to move on and do something else and that's okay too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you think that Donald would say if he were here right now? <laughs> uh, you know, I think he would uh, have a big smile on his face and <laughs> he would be very proud and excited that this is a first step for something new. Um, I, uh, he was such a, a driver of technology um, and uh, for people that might listen to this, this conversation uh, is happening now because uh, when I talked to Sarah about this originally, I told her that this was a plan for Donald and I to do this together. And uh, he never got his voice back to do it with me. So, um, you know, I think that, I think he would be very excited that this is a next step and excited to see where it goes because uh, Donald was a megaphone for his dad. And so, you know, his, his main goal in life was to see how far Hamido could go. And I think that understanding that 
this conversation happening and being a very uh, intro to Hamudo, like skate skirting around the outside of it, is uh, an opportunity for us to, to grow it and see where it takes us. Um, and so I think you'd be very excited. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yes, ma'am. Thank everyone for watching and look forward to the next conversation. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Cool. <laughs>
did a lot of like caretaking of Brad and Aaron. We did a lot of, especially because of the age difference, 11 right. years between the oldest and the youngest, you know, she was quite capable of taking care and helping out and doing those things. And my older sister is a very strong competitive personality and very naturally um, athletic in ways that I am not. Um, I would call it maybe aggressive athleticism. So yeah. for instance, like when she played soccer, she'd always be a defender. You know, she's like, she's a veterinarian. She has no problem picking up large dogs and putting them on the, you know, she loves weightlifting. She lo like all of the sports, even as like a cheer, she did cheerleading, but she was like the base, you know, she's not the flyer. Um, so she, uh, she did a lot of sports. Um, we didn't have a lot of money, so all things had to be something that was like in a school or um, that kind of environment. Soccer is usually pretty, um, like not very expensive. Right. <laughs> you can put a lot of kids on the field. So right. we all tried soccer sure. and both Brad and I just picked flowers and did things <laughs> like that. So I think that for me, because my older sister was so just naturally gifted at those things. And I was more naturally gifted at like singing and theater and performing. And neither one of my parents um, did anything athletic. So my father is not, does not do any kind of, I mean, he doesn't even like fish. I mean, he just really, <laughs> he does not do any kind of like outdoor activities gotcha. um, his goal in life was to be at a point where he didn't have to mow his yard with anything more than a weed whacker okay indoors was where my mom's idea of camping is she always has the joke of like a hotel without room service so right. <laughs> all of these things did not lend to doing anything kind of sporting um but my mother loved theater she loved making costumes she loved she directed lots of shows at our local theater. So mm. she was very much involved in that. And I think that's also another reason why for me, um, you know, from an approval standpoint, there was a lot of accolades with being good at something that she was into. Was into, right? right? You know, so like even in um, high school, I competed in a lot of theater competitions. I went to Memphis on a full scholarship for theater. Um, I just, you know, in that was something that she, you know, was involved in. She traveled to all of the um, theater competitions. You know, my younger sister did volleyball. My mom would maybe go to, like, to local games, would not mm. travel. But I was very much su supported because it was something that she was yeah, interested in and she really really loved personally she taught theater for 11 years um, high school theater when I was um, in college she went back to school actually okay. to teach so something that she's passionate about and yeah I think with you know as a child you you, you seek approval and that right. was something that it was very easy to get approval you know you go you compete you win first place your mom goes you're awesome and we're like hey yeah. I win absolutely <laughs> Before we, before I ask my next question and continue on with this, like, I think that it's interesting, like, that you were talking about your dad and him not being, like, driven sportsman-wise or, like, um, or in sports himself. And so I think that that's, like, one of those uh, things that are kind of associated with men, right? Like, mm -hmm. you're either, like, a sports 
person or like mm-hmm. a sportsman of some kind, like mm-hmm. doing the outdoors activities or something. And so, uh, but I think there's a lot of men that don't do those things, right? They're completely separated from that. And so, like with that being said, <laughs> the um, the did he have like a indoor activity that he enjoyed also? Like your mom was driven to the theater. Like mm-hmm. did he? Does he have something that he's like into or a hobby like that drives him? So my father, he was, um, his job was um, human resources for the post office. He was actually head of human resources for the state of Tennessee. And he um, is probably one of the most progressive males that I've known. I mean, he's progressive for his time. I think if he, my mother had wanted to work, um, she didn't really enjoy being a nurse anesthetist. It was like a good opportunity to just kind of like, kind of like tried to do a new thing when she had kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he would have been fine with her working and him staying home. I don't know that he would have loved it, but I think he would have been open to it. We always had an open household, you know, we being in the theater, there are lots of different individuals and early on, um, you know, that was never, you know, a challenge for my dad or for anyone to be of any kind of different um, sexual orientation or anything sure. else like that. So, um, and he's interested, his degree was in anthropology. And okay. so he's really interested in, in people. people yeah. He's very interested in people. So he's really up for discussions. You know, my father, my mom and I would, we would butt heads. I, I always say I didn't really she and I just had like I just slammed my door between the ages of thirteen until I could leave the house, probably till twenty five before she and I saw eye to eye. But my dad would listen, and he would. Um, he's the first person that taught me how to sort of listen to someone um, and not necessarily agree with every single thing that they have to say, right. but to give them the opportunity to you know, present all of their information and that every situation um, has kind of like multiple sides. So I think that as for me as an adult, that's something I'm very much gravitate towards and mm-hmm. really appreciate and that he brought to the table. But I think that's one of also my dad's um, lack of like interest is something that kind of um, is very similar to me. Uh, it's not something that I ever had. I mean, I was good at things, but I didn't wasn't really passionate about it. I you know went to school for theater, but I left that degree and changed it to communications because I was you know scared of not being successful. It seemed like very difficult to find my way into going to New York from Memphis. There's just all these things that kind of told myself of why I should not go down that direction. Right. And I think, um, you know, as, as, you know, as an adult, that can be a, a kind of dangerous place because if you don't have these outside interests or you don't have something that kind of like drives you to be part of community right you can be very um isolated yeah or find community in places that aren't uh, necessarily the healthiest yes absolutely yeah absolutely um yeah very interesting so to kind of jump forward like from childhood in this uh take on theater and like and uh trying to look for um approval it's not like the best way to say it but yeah like with that um so like fast forward to um 
couple years ago when I handed you a flyer at a Christmas parade and you had decided to bring your children in. Uh, At that point in time, you weren't really interested in uh, the martial arts program yourself. Like you kind of dabbled in our yoga program or dabbled in the kickboxing classes, but there was a, a transition time and like really your catalyst was a little bit different because COVID was happening and you were trying to help your daughter uh, during that situation. And so my real question is like that turn for yourself of, of trying to help your daughter mm-hmm. learn and practice a martial art so she can get through it because you saw the benefit for her, mm-hmm. right? But then where you decided that you were seeing the benefit for yourself and like how how you decided to kind of start committing into that first layer of being a martial artist yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I mean, I think probably I have the most, yes, random way of getting into, um, you know, pre- this practice. Um, but, you know, for me, fundamentally, when I saw what my children um, like we're learning, you know, I felt very strongly that this was something that I wanted them to continue to, to do regardless of um, like any other activities that they may want to do. So like Ava ice skates now, what we still do um, Hamudo because for me, it's just foundational for her mind, body and spirits. And it sets up her foundational understanding of what she needs to do physically and mentally and emotionally really for for everything um whether it's at school or another athletic activity Mm -hmm. or just like future jobs i mean the understanding of like breaking things down and um you know setting goals and being able to achieve those in, in, in that process of of work and 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 turning that around and 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 adding on to it um, was really, really important. And I, I've always, um, when I had my son, I realized like an epiphany, oh, like he's going to do what I do. Right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I did not think of this until he was born. Like, he's going to act the way that I act um, more so than what I say. Right. He's going to eat what I eat. And, be- you know, before he came along, I was not eating very well. And that's when I started to kind of like change my right. life and sort of like small steps. But I had that foundational understanding of I am a model for my children. So when I started helping Ava and we were coming here and there weren't like opportunities like kickboxing anymore because we were outside, mm-hmm. I had to do something. And I was there already, you know, I was sitting in the car, right. you know, and what we used to do, all the moms, we would walk around the the building, mm-hmm. you know, um, when, even when, when the kids would do class indoors and in harvest yeah. before COVID, you know, we would walk outside. I've always done that. Like I would be the mom walking around the playground while the kids were on the swing sets. Right. I always just tried to find a way to fit um, exercise or activity in right. where with them. One, because I was modeling that behavior, right. but also because there are only so many hours in the day. So, you know, as you, know, you realize that you're there, there's a class right afterward. And I knew that I would be able to be more helpful to, to Ava, to my daughter, if I was more knowledgeable. You know, I was right. really just kind of like mimicking. I didn't really understand the form that I was helping her with. 
was better than nothing when we were doing it via video, but really to fundamentally help her. And so I thought, well, it's kind of killing two birds with one stone. I'm, I'm exercising and I'm, I can help her. You know, I can, I can even take the same class as her and participate. And it just sort of like started, um, you know, building. And, you know, Hanmudo for me, um, especially being someone who's n not very flexible, not very fast, um, is very humbling. Um, there were just a lot of things right off the bat that I was not able to do. And I think it sort of just was a challenge because of that. Like, I guess I could have pulled away from that and thought, oh, but I guess because of, you know, with COVID, there really wasn't an opportunity to pull away, right? Right. The other op option was to do nothing, and that's not really kind of how I operate. So it was really sort of the best option, and I just had to do something just push through you yeah. know and be okay with not being the best with not being awesome right i remember we were outside i don't know if you remember this but we had a guest come it was this girl and i don't know where she was from but she could do these like like these fan kicks Jill. i mean up over her head right. and i you know and i went over to her and i was like your kicks are amazing and she just looked right. at me like Oh, what? like okay. <laughs> Why are you talking to me, lady? It's like yeah. this sort of like, and I and I still can't kick that high, but I can kick higher now than than I did absolutely yeah. when I when I first started. And I remember doing that first form, and you and Melissa were so kind. You know, you you know just let me do it to the best of my ability and encouraged me, mm -hmm. and just allowed me to progress the way that I needed, you know, to progress. Um, I feel very fortunate. I think a lot of people probably, you know, that you have this love-hate relationship with COVID, and this is one of those parts that mm -hmm. has been real positive for me because I don't know that I would have had the courage to kind of go through everything if we had been inside. Mm-hmm. I think it was an easier entry for me because there were things that I didn't have, like rolling, that I yeah. did not have to immediately yeah, embrace, um, and, be embrace and be okay and be able to do. The uniform is probably another one, you know, just not having to wear, you know, just everyone being out in the middle of the <laughs> yard, kicking you know, and punching in the air and not even touching anyone. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was all sort of like, it just was easy for me to kind of like ease into that um, and feel successful and right. feel like, okay, I, I can, I can do this because I'm definitely not a person who's ever thought, Oh, I'm going to punch someone or, you know, grab somebody or, and as a tall person, I also think, you know, as a woman, I think there's kind of this idea that women are always like on, like on guard of right. like someone's going to, no one is going to it. I am not the target. Like they're not. There are so many more smaller women. Like if you're going after someone, yeah. I think the statistic somebody said was you know that it's more likely that you're going to be attacked by someone that you know if you're a woman, right. which totally makes sense to me. Right. But no one, if I'm going through the grocery store, is going after me. Like that's not happening. There's yeah. lots of other better. <laughs> That's, that's good. I mean, it's good that you're confident in that, right? I think that's. They say I mean, that I'm not putting myself like, in like into 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 dangerous situations, but 
you know, yeah. a, I, I have gone off the rails on, on this question. I'm you so have, sorry. You have. I, I was just trying to let you go and enjoy it. You know, uh, <laughs> look, I want to back up for a second <laughs> okay. and go back to um, something that you said. So you were acknowledging uh, Jill. And yes. so Jill visited us from uh, Kim's Institute. Okay. Um, and high kicks. Yeah, super high kicks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jill's also a, a, I want to say she's like a second or third Don in Taekwondo oh. also. Um, and so she visited and you fangirled out on her, on her kicks, right? Like, oh wow, I can't, that's super awesome. I would be super awesome with great kicks like that. Right. And so in that moment, you also had this reaction off of her that you took as like her being like, Oh, right. Like, like, I don't know how to take this compliment from this person who's like getting all, getting all, yeah, in my My space. space. Yeah. And so, um, how do you feel about that happening to you now? Oh, people coming to me? Yeah. Like, I mean, um, how's, what's the reverse of that? Like, because now we're two years later, right? And, and like, uh, well, yeah, kicks, techniques, form, yeah. like, just mm-hmm. confidence on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I think that, you know, with, with um, martial arts, there's like a, there's a skill set involved in it too. And people see that skill set mm-hmm. that they're trying to learn. They're like, Ooh, Ooh, like, and that's where that little mm-hmm. compliment comes from. And I think that as a, um, as you hit those more advanced under black belt sets mm-hmm. and you start moving into the first and second down black belt, you're in a lot of classes with a lot of these peers that are in that under black belt phase. And they they do compliment those things, yeah, right? Sure. They they go to say that stuff, and so, um, you know, how does it feel on the other side of that now? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think that um, they look at me quite this the same way. You know, how can but, you say that? <laughs> well, so I do think that I inspire people, but I think that what I so start so number one. Not being athletic as a child, I never, I never did a cartwheel. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't do this. I mean, I, I, I didn't run my first mile until twenty five. I mean, this is you know, starting late into right. even just physical activity. You know, I was on the mindset generation of my age group of, of women who were told to be small, skinny, mm-hmm. but not strong. Right. Yeah, you know, that's not for you. That is for the person that you marry your boyfriend or whatever. Right, right, right. You know, this is not not for you. I mean, most of the women that I knew, like my mother has always been overweight, and most of the women that I knew as mothers were not fit mm-hmm. um, and were not, were not active. So I had nothing growing up that said that my way of doing things was wrong. Mm-hmm. Athleticisms were for girls who played softball, you know, maybe soccer, right. but it's very small subset. You know, not for most of us. Um, so I think that when I show up, and I've even had these conversations with um, particularly other women, other mothers that have mm. their children at harvest, starting at 43, um, yes, working really hard, but starting mm. at 43, starting, you know, 25 pounds heavier than I am now, Starting from a place where, um, you know, I was drinking really heavily. So I was not, um, even if like people might have, didn't, I don't think anyone looked at me and thought, you know. That oh, I, you're a drinker. Right, that this is happening. 
but you know that is where I was and I have no problem when I do like share my story with mm-hmm. other people that's a very approachable like anyone can if I can do it mm-hmm. it really anyone can so right. yes do I inspire them to start I do because okay. it's like wow you know and because you know there are a lot of people um, who come onto the mats who are older than me who have much more athletic background from their childhood mm-hmm. who are going to always kick higher than me. Right. Uh, you know, I'm going to probably outwork you because that's just like my nature, but I'm starting at a real deficit when it comes to, you know, just right. what I'm physically able to do. Right. right. So if somebody comes in and like they were, you know, Melissa's like a perfect example. We're the same age, but she was a dancer. Right. Her entire you know, childhood and throughout high school and into, I mean, into her twenties, I can't, there's, I can't go back in time. I mean, you cannot, you lose it. Absolutely. (laughs) If you don't use it, you lose it. But, you know, I am, you know, living proof that you can, um, you can improve and really I'm in better shape now than I ever was in my twenties. Um, you know, hands, hands down. So, I think for for me, when people come to me and say something or they're inspired by me or they feel, um, you know, they, they want to know, like, how to get where I am. Right. The, the first thing I, I think of for me personally is actually the student creed, which says that we're supposed to make a better world. Mm-hmm. And I interpreted that yeah. as, you know, helping others, absolutely being that person that they can come to and look at and say yes, and, and be humble with all of the stuff that I um, have like, you know, dealt with and, and, and where I started and what that, mm-hmm. and what that looked like. Um, but I also, you know, um, talk to them about the fact that the goal was never you know abs you know the goal was never um, really it was never even a black belt Um, it was just to show up and do the best that I could that Mm -hmm. day and what started happening when I started showing up every day and I really was curious about what we were doing curious about how I not somebody else but like how I needed to what I needed to do in order to do the best version of that form or that technique that Mm -hmm. I could possibly do and really leaning into practicing at home trying other things rolling is perfect example I really struggled with rolling Um, and I think people think that maybe you know you're afraid or there's like some but I just I have a really hard time like visualizing my body in the space. Like I run into things all the time. Right. Like I fall down. Like I just I'll be standing still and I will fall down. I just it's not my I don't have that strength. I wish I did. So I really had to break a rule down. I mean I I would be I got a mat at my house. I laid on the like mat, rolled myself over my shoulder over and over and over and over again, right shoulder, left shoulder. Just really, really basic stuff because the idea of even getting to the floor, getting in the right position, mm-hmm. moving over, that's just too complicated for me. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't fear, it was just I couldn't figure it out. Right. And so breaking it down 
and getting to the place where you know yes I can I can I still get nervous every single time I roll but I st- I can roll I can roll no problem yeah but I think you know just understanding that the practice of it that daily process that being curious about yourself mm-hmm. being curious about the the art right being curious about why it's different depending on who you're working with you know why it, um you know being curious about you know the the constant you know improvement i always say that for me when we start something i you know i use my lego analogy like i have like those big massive legos mm-hmm. just putting big pieces together and i feel like as a black belt first dawn i'm just now starting to put like the flags on the lego situation <laughs> like i'm that but it's the process of improving and having the goal be the enjoyment and joy of that process. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, what I look like or not um, how I do the form really even or even doing the technique. Just the enjoyment of showing up every day, being in community with others mm-hmm. and understanding that, you know, this practice you know, really... Challenge you, challenges you not only physically but em- mentally. You know the, yeah. the the strategy of it, and um and spiritually, emotionally, it really. I mean, it, it it you know it humbles you. And I feel you know Melissa said the other day. You know you welcome back to being a white belt. It's so true. I'm back to, you know my f- first dawn black belt, but I'm really. <laughs> I'm Learning really, stuff all over again. I'm really a white belt. Everything yeah. else is everything is new. I think that I'll just touch on one thing real quick before we run out of time, but the you was talking about breaking down the role and um, I feel like this is, it's a conversation for another podcast, but the simplification of techniques, simplification of advanced techniques or breaking them down to more digestible elements or practicable elements. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that is really important. And I think that it's, not something that the average person uh, practices. Mm. And so I think that when you start to refine a, a craft in that way, where um, if you're an artisan, maybe mm-hmm. you were uh, making a, a vase or you were turning wood or something and you were trying to get really good at making one specific bowl or one specific vase, um, then you would be trying to figure out how to cut a new line into it or something, right? And so you'd practice that over and over and over again. Um, But so many people, when they look at a martial art and they say, well, punching, that's simple, right? That's easy. But if I, if I could learn how to do this flying jump spin kick, then, then I'd look good, right? But to a martial artist, I feel like someone who's seen a lot of martial arts, simple doesn't hide anything. And so like, when you see someone performing something that's very simple but perfectly and you mm-hmm. go, oh wow, that person's really good at that, mm-hmm. um, then it really sets that aside, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, how many people pass over the role as just a, a an, an opening warm-up part of class oh. versus like breaking it down to get really good at it mm-hmm. and really understand how to do it safely mm-hmm. to not get hurt and 
to be able to do it properly and have fun while doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's a really, really important thing. I had a, a teacher once talk to me about doing psychics, and I think we've had this conversation before, but I asked him, like, man, your psychic's really good. Like, how do you do it? I do, like, 75 a day. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so then you start trying to do 75 psychics a day, and you realize how much time that devotes to yes. it. And uh, But I, I did that, and it really helped I, I, same way that you did with the role, I, I went home and functionally did everything he was telling me to do. Um, and it, I think I probably did it for about 18 months where I really was consistent um, working through drills on sidekicks every day. And that's how I really opened up my hips and was allowed to do a higher sidekick and uh, make that look sharp. So um, I understand exactly what you're saying, but I think, again, that's not normal. And so... I think that that's um, cool that you're at this place now where you're um, practicing the art and breaking it down and trying to understand it on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. So, very cool. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I don't remember how we ended the last one. Um, <laughs> I think we high five. Oh, high five. <laughs> nice job. Thank you. Way to go. <clears throat> See you guys later.